Hello, and welcome to The Learn It Podcast, a weekly conversation with global education leaders for people who are passionate about the future of learning. Our aim, to introduce you to change makers who are reimagining what students need to know, how they will learn it, and ways technology can help, or not. We look at learning in traditional settings, schools and universities, but also outside of them, after school, at home, and of course, at work. In our second series, we're looking at how schools are coping with COVID-19, including what lessons we will apply to the hopeful aim of building back better. Topics we obsess on include nimble innovations, closing equity gaps, and ways to prepare students with the mindsets and skills to thrive in what is proving to be a very uncertain world. I'm your host, reporter and author, Jenny Anderson. My guest today is Matt Glotzbeck, CEO of Quizlet, a digital study platform where learners can practice with flashcards or quizzes, whatever it is they're trying to master. It was founded in 2007 by a teenager trying to learn some French verbs and bootstrapped its way until 2015 when it tapped the venture capital market. Last year raised 30 million in a series C round, valuing the company at a billion dollars, five times what it was worth in 2018. Quizlet has 50 million active users in 130 countries, and like many ed tech products, has thrived in COVID with growth of 300 to 400%, as students, parents, and educators have scrambled to try to keep learning from home. Since 2018, it's been building Quizlet Learn, an AI-powered tutoring platform which combines a treasure trove of data, over a billion questions are answered on Quizlet each week across its study activities, with practical applications from learning science. Matt and I cover a lot of ground here today from why he wants the company to be thought of as a camel and not a unicorn, the peril and possibilities of self-directed learning, some jaw-dropping insights from Quizlet's data on how the pandemic has affected study habits by country, but also within the US by those learning remotely still and those who are back to in-person learning. Naturally, we talk about where tech can accelerate and deepen learning and where it can't. Are we better than a human biology teacher at interacting one-on-one with a student? No, we're definitely not, right? But are we better than the student left to their own devices, not knowing where to spend their time studying, 100%. Other topics we dig into include how he thinks about cheating in an environment where students can truly find answers to any question they need from the internet or an AI-powered tutor, the role government can play in bridging equity gaps that have always existed but that are so much worse now, and how to address the very real mental health issues young people face today. Matt, great to have you with us. So good to be here, Jenny. Great to talk to you again. Let's start with Quizlet. You have had three rounds of financing. The last one valued you at a billion dollars. You're a unicorn. But you said you want to be referred to as a camel and not a unicorn. What does that mean? <laughs> I can't take credit. Uh, there's actually an author and, and investor, Alex Lazaro, who, who coined the phrase, but I, I adopted it and used it liberally. But Look, in in Silicon Valley in particular, when a private company is valued at more than a billion dollars, it used to be such a rare thing that it was referred to as a unicorn. And I think that that's taken on an ethos and a mentality, frankly, one that's not necessarily healthy of, you know, growth at all costs, burn more cash, you can always raise more, more funding. And so I heard this analogy of a camel where, well, first of all, Unicorns are mythical creatures. Camels are real. But camels are really fascinating because, as you know, we all know from sort of lore, they're insanely resilient, right? We, we picture the camel plodding through the, the barren desert landscape and can go for, for days on end without food or water. But what I didn't know until I heard this analogy was when, when a camel does get access to resources, when a camel finds water, it can drink faster than any animal on the planet. Uh, so it can guzzle like a thousand gallons a minute or something, you know, some insane amount. And so 
they're also really make really effective use of opportunity and of resources. And so when there is an opportunity, they know how to pounce on it. They're also, believe it or not, they can be really fast. They can run long distances at a, at a reasonable clip. And so we like that metaphor, that analogy for Quizlet of we run the business responsibly. We focus on responsible growth. That doesn't mean we don't take risks and take advantage of opportunities when we see them. We do. It means that we are really thoughtful and effective. And, and again, I always anchor on the word responsible with how we think about our resource and how we use them so that when we do see one of those opportunities, we're in a perfect position to go leverage our resources. Tell us what happened in the past year to the business, you know, as granularly as you're willing to go. We actually released a report this past summer where we dug into the data that we were seeing around study activity and study behavior on Quizlet. We have such large user bases, 50 million plus monthly active people learning and studying on the platform. We're used by high school students, college students, everybody in between professional learning, et cetera. And what we saw at the onset of the pandemic was candidly somewhat concerning, especially in the U.S., we actually saw a pretty significant drop-off in study behavior, in people studying. And I think, you know, in, in hindsight, as we looked at it, it makes a lot of sense. The education world was thrown into some amount of chaos. Uh, the U.S. education system in particular is highly distributed. So decision-making is very much pushed down to the local, you know, individual school, district level, university level. And as a result, we saw drop-offs in studying of students in the U.S. Now, it's an interesting story outside the U.S. We actually saw something completely different. We saw tremendous growth, especially in countries or geographies where you tend to have a more, I'll say a more top-down system, but a more centralized system. And, and Quizlet was one of the go-to platforms that was used and prescribed or, or recommended, I'd say. I'd say as we dug into the data in the U.S., one of the more concerning things that we saw was the socioeconomic divide, something obviously we've talked about in education circles of really the, the pandemic has shown a light on the digital divide that we've all known has been there. And, and I'd say, you know, bigger picture, that's kind of a theme of the pandemic of, you know, either shining a bright light on things that we've known exist in education and learning, but this brings them into the forefront, or even the pandemic has unfortunately accelerated some of those negative trends. One positive note, we saw a significant increase in study for medical students. So I think everyone was motivated to say, hey, how can I help? I'm doubling down. I'm really committed to my medical degree. So there were, there were some bright spots in that uh, in the U.S. as well. You guys put this in your report, and it definitely stood out to me. South Korean students were 198% more engaged. Polish students were 96% more engaged. This is study habits post-pandemic. American students were 27% less engaged. So again, I always hate to think of education as an arms race, but every once in a while you see something like that and you think, oh my gosh, you know, there's the, the gaps inside our own country, which are profound and real and the ones we really need to address. But there's also this broader question of, wow, like some people really stepped it up and others really didn't. I found some data in your past. In, in 2015, 70% of your users were sort of high school and college, 25% were adult learners, and 5% were teachers. Have you seen in COVID that balance change? Where is that now? I wouldn't say there's a major shift. It has been changing over the years. And so we see, you know, a majority of our of our learners on the platform are college age, so 18 and above. Now, it's important to remind everyone that maybe that 
stereotypical view of what you might think of as a college student is, is no longer true in the U.S. Or, or globally, right? The average age of a college student, I think, now is something like 26. You know, the average college student takes six years to finish a degree, not four. Over 25% of college students have children of their own, so they have families, they're working part-time or full-time jobs. So that stereotypical view of, oh, I graduate from, from high school or secondary school, I go on to university for a nice four-year residential experience isn't, isn't the norm anymore. So we see a lot of activity in college, so post-secondary, higher education, professional vocational learning, you know, grad school, et cetera, we still see a strong footprint in secondary school and you know some in primary school as well where you know in the US i think about 80% of US high school students use quizlet on a regular basis over half of US college students use quizlet on a regular basis so we didn't necessarily see a major shift in those trends as part of the pandemic we did see some spikes i think where we saw a little bit more engagement on the college side than on the high school side. And so I think that speaks to the nature of learning being more self-directed as you kind of age up, you know, from primary school, it's very, you know, kind of parent and teacher directed, the educational guardian. As you move into secondary school, you sort of shift into that, like partially teacher directed, partially student directed. And as you move into higher ed, it becomes very self-directed. And so I think as the pandemic unfolds, we see those self-directed learners continuing to stay engaged at a little bit higher level. Now, I should also say that report that we published was in the summer. As we revisit the data after the fall term this year, we are seeing some positive trend lines. We just pulled up an update of the data in the last few weeks. And you know we've seen significant increases in both high school and college over last year. So 30% increases in daily active users for high school students and actually a 40% increase on the weekends, which is interesting, 20% increase in daily active users in college and a 50% increase on the weekends. So we're seeing, you know, both, I'd say, return to quote unquote, normal levels of studying and engagement and even increasing engagement levels. Do you have any sense as to whether that's trying to catch up or whether that's new study habits? I would love to say it's the latter. I would love to say it's new study habits. I do think there's, you know, some truth to that. Students of, of all ages are becoming more self-directed and, and developing some of those new habits of resiliency that are that are required in this time. I also think a big part of it is that that catching up, a combination of the academic system, getting back to a more rigorous and well-understood kind of path and, and figuring out how to do the remote and hybrid learning and whatnot. Now, I should mention something else. We started to pull data at a more local level, so at the state level and then getting into the regional level. And one thing we're seeing is significant increases in areas that have gone predominantly back to in-person learning. So there, you know, in, in states that we're seeing in-person learning, you know, we're seeing study rates at 100, 110, 115% of what they were kind of pre-pandemic. And in states that are still fully remote or pre predominantly remote, we're seeing, you know, 75, 80%. So we, I think that the in-person versus remote is still a very real dimension of, uh, of this story. There's been a real rise in B2C products and ways for students to take on more of their own learning, which is both exciting and kind of terrifying. What's the exciting part and what worries you about this trend? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's an exciting thing. And I think we are in a, in a time where 
technology makes that possible. And so it, it allows individual learners to become in more control and more accountable for their, their learning journey. Now, I think it's important to point out that doesn't mean instead of the formal education system, it doesn't mean instead of an educator, a teacher. In my view, at least, it means in Quizlet's view, it's in addition to, it's helping support and be supplemental to that primary education delivery system. I think it's exciting. I think in some sense it's it's necessary. You know, you could argue that if you look back in history, the students who who embraced and had that self-directed nature are oftentimes ones that are very successful, even in the education system, right? Oftentimes we think about the more affluent students who have access to resources who might get personalized tutoring or have additional after-school help. That's a form of I'll say self-directed learning or, or additional supplementary learning. So I think there are many exciting things about that where the role that technology can play to make that type of self-directed learning more accessible to everyone. Now, what's what's scary about that? You know, obviously the, the topic of equitable access is always one that's top of mind. As we think about learning loss from the pandemic, you know, there are major governmental initiatives to try to provide for some, you know, one-to-one -one tutoring and one-to-few tutoring. I know the, the UK government pledged something like 700 million pounds to do an aggressive kind of catch-up program. You know, the latest US rescue package has 123 billion for public K through 12 schools. And I, I saw that at least 20% of that funding has to be used for evidence-based interventions to address learning loss. So there's a realization that there's a need there. There's money being put towards it, which helps address the equitable access piece. I think technology can be a really critical piece of driving that equitable access, right? It's just, it's really expensive to try to get one-to-one -one tutors for everybody on the planet. And I'm not suggesting that Quizlet or any technology can replace the quality of a human tutor, but we can at no or very low cost, we can actually start to provide some of that support and guidance in a very broad-based way to students and learners. It's just, you know, historically been impossible to do at scale with, uh, with kind of traditional one-to-one -one tutoring methods. Quizlet Learn is an AI-powered tutoring platform. When you guys did your fundraise in 2018, that was the sort of headline news. That's what you were going to be building. Where is that project? How much of the company's sort of time, growth, and energy is going into that? It's the majority of what we're focused on. And, you know, when you think about it, the, the metaphor of a tutor is an apt one because what, is a, what does a tutor do? Well, first of all, they're not trying to replace the school. They're not trying to replace the teacher. You know, it's really about how do we help a student focus their time and attention to have really effective study. And that's what Quizlet is. First and foremost is we're a study platform. We're a place where students go to practice and master, you know, whatever it is they're trying to learn. And what we've been investing in over the, over the last few years is how do we leverage all of this data, insight, et cetera, to help provide a more, a more personalized experience, a more guiding hand, you know, so as you think about things a tutor does, well, a tutor, you know, understands where the student is and understands what the student's goals are. And so, you know, when you're using Quizlet Learn, our, our learning assistant, the first thing we do now is we, we help you establish what your goals are. And just that metacognition of for a student, for a learner of, hey, here's where I'm trying to go, is a really important part. So as basic as that sounds of like figuring out what the goal is. 
Then we do a diagnostic check of, okay, where are you, right? And, and exactly as a tutor would do of, okay, I know what you're trying to achieve. Where are you along that journey? And so we, we work to assess that. And then we basically paint a guided path, paint a custom path to that student of, okay, here's where you're trying to get to. Here's where you are. We're going to interact with you. We're going to give you different types of questions, different types of activities, and we're going to constantly be adapting that path to give you the most effective and most efficient path towards reaching that goal. And along the way, we're going to give you some encouragement to, to keep you engaged. If you, if you leave, we're going to try and pull you back in. You know, there are some of the benefits or, or some of the learnings from gamification of how do you get people coming back, not in a nefarious way, but just right half the, half the challenge is, is keeping that engagement, getting the learner to show up and, and put in the time. You know, keeping the level of difficulty at the right, you know, at just the right level. If it's if it's too hard, you're going to get frustrated and walk away. If it's too easy, you're not learning anything. And so these are all examples of things you can do with technology that, you know, talk to any educator. It's it's the things that a great teacher does. It's just really hard to do at scale for a human. It's really difficult and takes a lot of work for a teacher to give that level of individualized attention on a daily basis to every student in his or her class. But technology is actually really good at those things. And so that's that's a big focus of, uh, of ours, of really continuing to build out, you know, leveraging the best in learning science, along with all of the data that we have about how people are learning on our platform and using that to train our uh, machine learning models to guide those paths. How much do we know about the effectiveness of online AI-driven tutoring? You know, you've got the machine learning data to do this, but I'm curious how effective you know it to be versus hope it to be. It's easy to believe, and the studies are clear, that personalized individual instruction, individual tutoring does work. And, you know, Bloom's Two Sigma study, which is the oft-quoted one, kind of the, the baseline that really started driving all of this. And there have been a number of studies since then, you know, some, some which question the magnitude of the results from the Bloom study, et cetera. But I think there's general agreement that, yes, individualized and personalized attention is a good thing and helps helps produce uh, good outcomes. There have been numerous studies on the efficacy of, you know, machine-based tutoring systems or machine-based personalized systems. And what you quickly see as you read through those studies, and there's some meta-studies about it as well, is that the details really matter, right? And so in particular domains, when they're done in a particular way, you can see results. Now, the results aren't quite as good as a human tutor, which makes sense if it's highly personalized. And I, I'm the first to point out that we're not talking about a general purpose AI that suddenly is going to be as smart as or better than a human at everything. That's a science fiction that maybe maybe will become reality sometime in the distant future, but candidly, probably not. It's much more about how do we leverage technology and data for specific types of, of interventions and applications. So let me give you a, an example that, that might help crystallize it. At Quizlet, one of the things we do is we take this static text and we generate questions from that text. So, you know, we might have some information about biology, about meiosis and mitosis, and we'll take that and we'll generate multiple choice questions to test for understanding of those concepts. So we actually are generating those questions. We're generating those distractors, the false answers in the, in the multiple choice, for example. We do that because we've got this massive repository of data, both content from users, but then also data on studying like, hey, here's, here's a common thing that people get wrong when they're dealing with this concept. And so we can use 
machine learning to generate these questions and these choices. And what the cool thing that we can do is over time, as you start to master that information, we can actually make the question harder because we can say, oh, we're gonna, we, we know that we're gonna give you these easier distractors first. And then over time, we're gonna make those distractors more difficult to the point where you have to really understand the concept to get this question right. And so we can move from simple basic understanding, even just memorization of the concept into true understanding and application of the concept. And we're using all of our data and machine learning techniques to generate those questions uh, on the fly to do that. Are we better than a human biology teacher at interacting one-on-one with a student? No, we're definitely not, right? But are we better than the student left to their own devices, not knowing where to spend their time studying? A hundred percent. I mean, it's interesting to me how much you're combining the sort of learning science plus the machine learning, because what you can do is say, we know that, you know, you need to be able to transfer a concept from one domain into another to really learn it. So how do you overlay that onto the sort of machine learning of the data, which is these are the questions people get wrong the most, and then you combine those two and it should be, you know, a powerful combination. That's absolutely right. And and, and the learning science is such a important and fascinating field, we humanity know so much about how humans learn and and how the brain works. And I'd say one of the biggest challenges is that most of that knowledge is still stuck in the lab or in the research paper and hasn't made it into the practical way that we teach and learn. And so, you know, one of the real (laughs) things that we focus on at Quizlet is how do we take what's known about how learning works and learning science and make it really practical and accessible for students, right? If we go back to really the the earlier topic we were talking about, about self-directed learning, at the end of the day, so much of that is, can we help students learn how to learn, right? Can we help them develop the techniques and the practices that will make them an effective learner over time, right? Because that's that's the real end game, right? Is yes, we absolutely have to, absorb knowledge and understand facts and form that uh, long-term memory so that we can then have that accessible when we when we need it for creative thought, et cetera. But as we think about kind of success in life going forward for a student, it's do they have the skills and abilities to know how to learn? So a big thing that we're doing with Quizlet and the learning assistant in particular is helping guide that learning how to learn, you know, mostly by example but hoping that that transfer takes place. I was just speaking to Dan Rosenwig at Chegg, which is one of your competitors. And for them, much more than for you, cheating is a big topic. He vehemently protested that, you know, it was facilitating that. But at the end of the day, it's a real issue. If you have an adaptive learning system and kids can use it while they're taking a test, it's a problem. So how do you think about that? Is it a problem? And how do you hope to address it in that sort of tutoring setting? First of all, we think cheating's wrong, right? We we have an honor code that we a- ask everyone to adhere to and to agree to as they sign up to use the, the platform. And Quizlet fundamentally is built for learning, right? It's built to help people study. It's not a platform where you submit a, a, a question so that you know you can get an answer back to fill in on your test or, or, or quiz or, or whatever the case may be. And so our focus is really effectively, how do we help them remove the need or the, or the desire to cheat because we're actually helping them learn, right? I think that the pandemic has been really challenging. You know, a topic that we haven't talked much about is, is the mental health implications. That's a really big deal. Those are very real and that is the immediate problem. And so unfortunately, it's not surprising that 
you know, there are reports of increased academic integrity violations at universities, et cetera. So, you know, I don't think we should stick our head in the sand. That is a, that is a real problem. And I think that technology generally has a role to play in being held accountable and working towards solutions. Probably the most used uh, platform for potential cheating might be Google search. So I'm not saying it's not a problem and not something that, that we as an industry broadly should be focused on, but I think the focus should really be on, are we building technologies that are predominantly used for learning and that help students learn so that we can address right those the stress and those anxiety points of students who are overwhelmed. When we survey our, our user base, so 90% of, of Quizlet users say that they put a great amount of pressure on themselves to do better. Four out of five students say that stress is the most challenging aspect of effective studying. It is the top of mind thing. And so what we try to do is really focus on building technologies that help them learn, which increases that sense of well-being that they, they feel like, hey, I got this. I actually know this stuff. And then they don't turn to uh, to more nefarious means. Where do you see Quizlet's role in the mental health challenge? I mean, I think you might have just nailed sort of the very core part of it, but I'm just curious, are there other aspects? I saw there was a Harvard Medical School report that noted 80% of college students reported frequent or high levels of stress even before the pandemic hit. There was an American College of Health Association report that said 42% of U.S. college students have attempted to seek mental health care during the pandemic. The pandemic didn't create this. It, it maybe helped us both understand that that stress and mental health issues have have been ever present in, you know, in especially in higher education, but I would argue in secondary education as well. And then the pandemic has exacerbated it. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges when we talk to students is the support systems they did have, they feel like have been taken away from them because of the pandemic, right? Access to teachers and TAs in the classroom setting, you know, talking to that 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 professor TA kind of on the way into class or on the way out of class, uh, but also during the week with office hours and things like that have just become much more difficult. Not being able to just connect with their peers, right? You, if you're not going into class with your peers, you're not having that ad hoc study group, et cetera. And then, and then parents, you know, parents are overwhelmed, especially of younger children of suddenly we're trying to, you know, teach calculus or teach biology, you know, things that if you're like me, I was trying to help my daughter on her algebra and I was going, wait, I need five minutes to relearn this because it's been a decade or two since I've looked at it. So to your question, I think the role that Quizlet can play is to be there and be a support system for those students to help play the role of a TA, if you will, to give them support. Again, not, you know, we can't approximate the human connection side of it, but if we can be a place where they feel like they can go, they can study, we can give some of that encouragement, they can feel like they're getting the most effective and efficient use of their time. As you mentioned, the UK has stepped in to do this national tutoring scheme. Do you think there is a role in the US for that? I think obviously government has a role to play. We've seen throughout history, government investment has driven some major innovation, you know, exhibit one, the internet. So I think there is a continued opportunity for government investment, for research and development of, of practical solutions, technology, et cetera. You know, I'd love to see more R&D dollars spent on practical solutions you know, at the, at the national level. Obviously, government plays a major role in the funding equation for, for education, and that's true you know, globally, and, and especially in the US, it tends to be more state and local. I'd say one of the biggest 
challenges and risks as we come out of the pandemic is, is state and local budgets have been hit very hard by the pandemic. And so you may see a, a, a knee-jerk pullback of like, oh, we have to you know, cut budgets by 30% in education, et cetera. And I think that's, that's going to be a real challenge, right? But I don't think it's government only as the solution. I think there is that public-private partnership opportunity. And again, one possible positive silver lining out of this is the education system, which has historically been, you know, candidly a little slow to try out new things and, and adopt technologies and new ways of doing things, has been forced to rethink everything in a very short time. And so I do think some of that will persist post-pandemic. I don't think it'll just be a reversion to the mean. Where do you see in the sort of broader ed tech space, B2B, B2C, give me some predictions as to where you think the broader, very frothy, very excited, very funding happy market goes from here. I think on the B2B side, you know, you'll see a a starting to to really separate, I'll say the kind of the winners and the losers, right? I think this this will consolidate to some of the proven, you know, proven brands and and proven technologies that really have a meaningful role to play and maybe clear out some of the some of the noise frankly on on the the things that maybe don't work as well or haven't been been mainstream adopted because there'll be a forcing function to do that again given the uh, given the budgetary side on the B2C side, you know, where which is where uh, we play at, at Quizlet, you know, I think that this is an acceleration of that that self-directed theme the, the influx of, of investment into that space is really, you know, it's taking what was already strong innovation and, and a lot of focused effort and really accelerating that. And I think that's a great thing. So I think the, the private sector and B2C companies like Quizlet, we really need to continue to innovate with a focus on the learner. And I'd say that's, I believe, probably the biggest advantage of that direct B2C model is that our focus is directly towards that end learner. We're not getting caught up in the bureaucratic aspects of the IT buyer or the school board or any of those things, right? But at the end of the day, in education and learning, we have to remember as all of this excitement and investment pours in and more and more companies go public, yes, doing well on the financial side is important for sustainability so that we can be here you know, a year, 10 years, 100 years from now to continue to invest in, in learner-centric innovation. But doing good is also critical. It is a double bottom line industry, as they say, where it's not only important to focus on the financial returns, but it's also critical that we focus on the human returns, which is helping people learn. And that's, and that's what really, I'd say, is, uh, is the driving force for us at Quizlet. So now I'm going to force you to make some crazy predictions. What percentage of time are kids using tech versus traditional means for their own learning? And how does that change in 10 years? I think pre-pandemic, it's probably, you know, 10, maybe 20% tech, 80% traditional you know, obviously during pandemic, you're kind of everything's tech because all the traditional learning is happening over Zoom. 10 years from now, I think it's 50-50. I don't think that the in-person human interaction goes away. I think we focus it on the really critical things that that's best for. And then we use technology to augment that and really personalize that experience for the student. All right. What is your favorite book about learning? Probably one of my favorites is How We Learn, The Surprising tr- Truth About When, Where, and Why It Happens. It was written by Benedict Carey. Fantastic. What is your favorite book not about learning? 
I recently read Let's Talk About Race, and I, I just love the frank and candid nature of, uh, of, of the book and, and helped me, you know, is, is helping me, I should say, become a, a better leader and a better person in, in terms of being able to more um, adeptly and candidly talk about race and the issues in our time. Final question. What are you binge watching? We recently started the Jack Ryan series on, uh, on Amazon Prime, which is, uh, which is pretty good. Some nice empty calories. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Jenny. I've enjoyed it immensely. A few things struck me about this conversation. The first was the data point. Students who have returned to in-person learning are studying at 110 to 120% their pre-pandemic rates, while those in remote learning are still studying less, another worrying sign of the toll remote learning is taking on students. Secondly, I was struck by Matt's evangelism around the rise of self-directed learning and the idea that tools like Quizlet can really help level the playing field by offering tools for all learners, rather than say, individual tutors for rich kids. I agree that building the muscles of self-directed learning should be more of a priority and that having more tools available is a net positive. But I'm less convinced than he is that tech will be this big leveler and not another tool for opportunity hoarding rather than broadening access. There may be a free product and a premium one, but the premium one's better. So aren't we simply replicating the inequities? Finally, I'm very curious about how the AI-powered tutor takes off. The challenges for AI in education has long been data. Where do you get enough of it to build sophisticated machine learning? We're at that point now. Quizlet has that data. Will it benefit learners? We're in the early innings, but we better keep a close eye on this game. Thanks for listening. We'll link to the items mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. And you can find out more about our community of global education leaders and upcoming meetups by joining our mailing list at learnit.world. In the meantime, stay safe, stay curious, and see you next week.